of it. And so when you value things, you take care of them, right? Uh, when you value things, they have a high priority in your life, right? And then your actions support what you value by what you live, not necessarily by what you say. And then there's another word, purpose. By definition, it means the reason for which something exists and intended or desired result. And so, again, Jesus came for a purpose, right? He had a desired result or an intended end. And so God gave that gift to us because there was an end result that God wanted to see in our lives as a result of him giving us the gift of his son. You know, when I think about my life, there were two things that happened uh, in September, right after September of 2013. People gave me gifts. And when you value things, I mean, you have a tendency to ponder why they gave you that gift. One person gave me a gift and they said, I'm giving you this gift because I want you to focus on what God's called you to do and not have to think about how you're going to take care of your family. And I can tell you, you know, pastoring and ministry is not easy. How many of you know this is tough work? It's not easy. I mean, it, it requires labor and sacrifice and patience, a lot of different things, long-suffering. And so every time I would get weary, I would think about the gift that was given to me and the purpose behind that gift. And I would always say to myself, I've got to treat that right. Right? Then there was someone else that did something for both of us, and, and it's the gift for us that just keeps on giving. And it's interesting that none of these people have ever attended this church. These are people outside of this church. And it's the same motive behind that gift was so that we could be focused on what God called us to do. And every time I get weary, I think about, how much value do I place on what someone else did for me so that I can do what God's called me to do? And at the end of the day, that makes me want to treat that gift right. I mean, you know, my wife is a gift from God. And if I value that, then I'll treat it right. Right? I mean, you know, my children are a gift from God. Right? And if I value my children, then I treat them right. They have an order of importance in my life where they know that they're valued based off of what I do, what I'm willing to pay, and what I'll sacrifice for them determines for them how much I value them. How I many you know the life that you live on a daily basis determines how much you value the gift of Jesus Christ in your life? What is it that you're willing to pay, and what are you willing to sacrifice for the gift of Jesus in your life? Let's walk through some scriptures today to just kind of help us understand we're really going to look at more of a doctrinal and theological perspective of Jesus as the gift of God or his birth. And so just follow along with me. There's a, a great truth revealed in the New Testament, and that is the eternal God became one of us. He became a human being. And this is what separates Christianity from all other religions is the fact that God came to live. And how many know he's still living today? And that separates us. But the struggle that other religions have is that Jesus was not God. And they separated right there. I believe in God, but Jesus was just a man. He was just a prophet. And so let's walk through the scriptures and let the, let the scriptures interpret for themselves what this gift was and what this gift was intended to mean in our lives. Go with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 1 and then verse 14. 
John chapter 1, verse 1, and then verse 14. When you get there, say amen. All right, in John chapter 1, verse 1, notice it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, what's that word there? Was God, right? Verse 14 explains that and expounds on that a little further. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And I love this description of Jesus, full of grace and truth. And so we know in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then the Word came and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, and we know that to be Jesus Christ Himself, right? And then a description of Jesus is that he's full of grace and truth. Now, I know that we live in an age of grace, and I know this is the dispensation of grace. But I mean, no, he's 100% grace, and he's 100% truth. Some people go wild with the grace message and thinks that it, think that it exempts us from any responsibility to live upright. So we know grace, by definition, is kindness, it's, it's merit, it's graciousness, it's benevolence. It's God's favor. How I many know oh, Jesus is all of that? And he's bestowed all of that upon us. I mean, everything he's given us, we've deserved none of it. That's a picture of his grace, but he's also truth. And so if he says the wages of sin is death, guess what, folks? We saw his truth when he walked into the temple, right? and he overturned the table of the money changers. We saw a righteous indignation rise up out of him. Why? Because he said, you've made my house a den of thieves, but it's supposed to be a house of, of prayers. How I many know oh, truth responded to that? We see it again uh, when the uh, people who thought that they had a relationship with him came to him at the end of their lives, and they said, let me in, God. Let me into heaven. Let me, and he said, no. Depart from me. I never knew you. And then he described them as workers of iniquity, people who had habitually sinned. So how many know he's both sides of that? I don't ever want us to think that because God is gracious, he's kind, he's full of grace, that he won't execute truth in your life. And for me, that keeps me balanced. That keeps me not thinking I can just do what I want to do and grace is going to cover everything. Right? And so, yes, God is good but he's also full of truth. I love that description. The Apostle Paul echoes John's thoughts. Go with me to Philippians chapter 2, and let's look at, another, look at it another way. Philippians chapter 2. Paul here echoes the sentiments that we just read in the book of John. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7 says, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. How many know God is good when he's willing to leave his glory, manifest himself through his son, come down to the earth to walk with us, watch this, and then describe himself as a servant. So if Jesus only saw himself as a servant, how many know we shouldn't get caught up in titles? Thank God for everything that you've accomplished, but at the end of the day, we are all servants. In Bible school, we learned a term or phrase called the incarnation of Christ. How many of y'all have ever heard of that before? 
the incarnation of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Incarnation is from the Latin meaning in flesh. Although it's not a biblical word, it presents a biblical truth. Jesus is the eternal God who became flesh and blood. Do you all believe that today? I want to ask a very direct question. Do you believe Jesus is God? Raise your hand if you believe that. Do you believe that God came in the flesh through the person of Jesus Christ to be your personal Lord and Savior? But at the end of the day, was it God? Excellent. Listen to this. Jesus is the eternal God who became flesh and blood. So the incarnation was the uniting of the divine and the human into one being, one person, Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ, listen very carefully, was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. Even though he was God, he did not walk the earth as God. He walked the earth as man anointed by God. Acts chapter 10 verse 38 says, whom God anointed, right, to do good, right? And so we know that he was not uh, 100% God while on the earth. So he had to pray. He had to use his faith. He had to believe God. He had to trust God just like we do, right? Listen to this very carefully here. So now, he was 100% God, so he was fully God, but he was also fully human. Now, in Bible school, they call that the hypostatic union. How many of y'all have ever heard that before? Hypostatic union. What does that mean? Jesus is God in the flesh. But while on earth, he was 100% man, although he was 100% God. Everybody clear? And so what throws people off is that God would not leave glory and come down to earth and be like us. But I don't know about you, that's a tremendous amount of love to leave heaven, streets paved of gold, come on, no more crying, no more tears, no sin to come live with sinful mankind. If I was you, I'd lift my hands right there and just thank God for such a wonderful gift. So God, through Jesus, was willing to lay aside his heavenly glory. So in becoming a human being, Jesus laid aside that glory to live among us. So we have to ask ourselves the question, why did he do it? Why did he do it? And listen to this. What was the purpose behind the gift? So I've walked through, this is not exhaustive, I've walked through about 10 areas that I believe are Really, the most important reasons, not all of them, but about 10 of them, as to why he did this. Why did he come? Why was he born? What was the purpose behind that gift, and how should we respond to that, okay? And so, number one today, he wanted to further reveal God to humanity. Number one, he wanted to further reveal God to humanity. So the first and foremost reason was to give a further revelation of God to humanity. So if you want to know God, how many know you cannot know God without knowing Jesus? There's no way to know the Father without going through the Son. Go with me to John chapter 14. Well, actually, go to John chapter 1 first. John chapter 1. And notice what the Bible says about this. John chapter 1 verse 18. 
says, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. So, no one has seen God. Now, I was reading something that I was Googling last night where a man said that he had a personal encounter and saw God face to face. Now, how many of you know he's lying? Or, or how many of y'all believe maybe that did happen? No, look at what it says. No man has seen God at any time. Right? Is that not what we're reading? So no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. So in other words, if we want to know anything about God, we need to listen to Jesus. Look at it another way. Go with me to John chapter 14. So that verse there then teaches that Jesus explained God to humanity. So we no longer have to wonder what God is like because Jesus tells us and he shows us. Look at John chapter 14. Let's begin reading at verse 7. John chapter 14. And this is his dissertation with Philip. And notice what he says to Philip because Philip wants to see the Father. And how many of y'all know that's normal? If God is real, then God show yourself to me. How many of y'all people do that, right? God, if you're really who you said you are, then show yourself to me, right? People do that all the time. And that's normal. That's human nature. Notice what Jesus said beginning at verse 7. If you had known me, then you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, now this is Jesus talking, Jesus saying, if you know me and seen me, then you know the Father and have seen the Father. Philip didn't get that. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and that's sufficient for us. Now, what did Jesus just say to him? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What did Philip say? I'll be satisfied if you just show me the Father. So did Philip hear him? Not at all. So you, this will show you that people don't really listen when you're talking. <laughs> right? Somebody said, well, how many parents in here? How many kids will look right through you? <laughs> Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? He said, the words that I speak unto you, I do not speak of mine own authority, but the Father who dwells in me, he does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Watch this. Or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Now, what you'll learn about people, and I'm taking this from Jesus, people do not believe what you tell them. Right? Most people are from Missouri. <laughs> what does that mean? Show me state, right? I don't want to hear nothing about that. Show me what you're talking about, right? And what I love about Jesus is he has no problem showing us who he is. See, it's one thing to talk about it, but it's a whole nother thing to demonstrate it, right? I've learned that as a pastor. People believe you about as much as they see you live. 
And at any point what you live contradicts what they hear you say, they leave. Whether it's true or not, if they believe it, then it's true to them. Now, let's follow that thought a little longer. He said, Philip, I've been with you all this time, and you're telling me you don't know the Father? You've never seen the Father, right? So, so he said, if you don't believe what I'm telling you, then at least believe what I'm showing you. Go with me to John chapter 5. So Jesus claimed to be God both by what he said and by what he did, right? Now, this will help you choose churches. If, if after five years we're still talking about God's going to bless us with a building, We can go a little further out than that because we're, we're, we're believing to do everything debt-free. But, but how many after about 10 years and I'm still, the Lord is good. We're going to play debt. Uh. <laughs> how many after a while, you all going to say, he said that back in 2015. <laughs> right or wrong? Because what I said didn't agree with what we actually did. So Jesus said, I not only can tell you, but I can show you. All right, go with me to John chapter 5. And to save some time today, let me, I was going to read the whole story to you, but let me just kind of give you a synopsis of the first 15 verses, and then we'll pick the story up at the 16th verse. Well, you know, uh, there was a pool in, in Jerusalem called the Pool of Bethesda. And every year, which had five porches, and one of the porches was called Solomon's Porch. And every year around a certain season, an angel would come and trouble the water. And whoever would get in the water would be healed of whatever disease that they had. And so around this pool, man, the scripture describes it as multitude. So there are people everywhere that are lame, blind, crippled, diseased, all kind of things. And then there was this one man that Jesus was there because there was a feast in Jerusalem. So Jesus was coming to Jerusalem for the feast. So he went by the pool and he saw a man there who Jesus had discerned had been in this condition for a long time. The man had been diseased or really the scripture says he had a spirit of infirmity, which means he was greatly vexed. And so he had been in that condition for 38 years. I mean, that's a long time to be in a condition. And then when Jesus walked up to the man, Jesus said to him, do you want to be made whole? And the man gave an excuse. He said that every time I get up, so I actually really got into that last night because I thought he actually could not get himself in the water. I thought he was laying there with his bed or whatever it was that he had there because he couldn't move. But then he described it this way. He said, every time I get up, to get in the water, someone gets in the water before me, or in other words, pushes me out of the way. Now, how many of those, if you want to lose, you'll find a reason to lose. Right? Jesus disregarded that. Jesus said, forget the water then, be thou whole of thy plague. Right? Beautiful story there, right? So he healed a man, and I'm going to show you people here. I'll show you another picture of people. Jesus healed him 38 years of this infirmity told him to pick up his bed and walk. While he picks up his bed and he's walking, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the religious folks came along because it was the Sabbath day, and they said, why are you carrying that bed on the Sabbath? They don't care nothing about that the man had been sick for 38 years. <laughs> to me, you wouldn't even notice the bed. 
You wouldn't even notice what he's carrying. You would be rejoicing that a miracle was just done because we've known this man to be in this condition for 38 years. They said to him, why are you carrying this bed on the Sabbath day? Watch this. And who gave you the authority to do it? And at that moment, the man said, I don't know who did this. Right? Let me tell you something about religious people. You can, man, what's the best way to describe this? Notice, he got healed, but what did they notice? Carrying the bed on the Sabbath day. Right? Do you realize you can walk on water? And someone will say, the only reason you're walking on water is because you can't swim. (laughs) He wouldn't be walking on water if he could swim. The only reason he's walking on water is because he can't swim. So they would never see you walking on water. What they would see is you can't swim. I thank God I'm traveling with some wet water walkers in this building right here, boy. Trust me, I'd rather be the guy out on the water all day long than the one sitting in the boat talking about the one that got out of the boat and walked on the water, right? And so let's pick the story up now in verse 16. So for this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus. For what reason? Believe it or not, no. No, because he told the man to take up his bed and walk. I I really got into this last night. It wasn't even about the healing. They want to kill him because he told the man to pick up his bed and walk on the Sabbath day. So in other words, who overrode our authority and who do they think they are? See what that was all about? The scripture approved it out. Let's keep going here. Jesus answered, well, well, really, for this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus, for they sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered said, my father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because not only did he break the Sabbath, but he also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Isn't that good? So notice, we cannot go past Jesus and say, I love God. See how he's laying this out? So they're upset because Jesus made himself equal to God by calling himself the Son of God. Guess what, folks? We're sons and daughters of God, too. All right? Now, I want to put something out here. I'm going to see if there's any faith in this room. Jesus says something very powerful. He said here that he's getting ready to do some things that's going to make them marvel. 
I release this in this room right now. God's getting ready to do some things in your life that's going to make you marvel. Oh, I wish there was a little faith in this room today. Man, let me speak that over here. I, I'm talking about forget 2015, 16. God is the same every day, all day, every day. He's not special because we change into a new year. He's special all the time. And I'm telling you, God's getting ready to do some things in your life that are going to make you marvel. I'm talking about because of your relationship with God and your honor and respect that you have for his son, he's getting ready to bring some things into your life that are going to make you marvel. You know, every time I come in this building, I just marvel that God would give us something like this. Every time I go get in that Dodge Durango, I just marvel that God would give us something like that. Every time I walk in the West End, I just marvel. My wife and I were laying in the bed watching TV, and they were having some kind of event at this particular location, and they were showing this stage on television. And I jumped up and I yelled, hey, what are they doing in our church? Didn't I, babe? And I just, and I just marvel that God would do so many wonderful things for us. Hallelujah! God's getting ready to do some things for you that are gonna make you marvel. Come on, and if you believe that, give God a shout of praise in this place today. Hallelujah. 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 So Jesus wanted to further reveal himself to humanity. Number two, Jesus came to fulfill God's promises to certain people. How many of you know, God, how many know that God is not a man that he should lie? Nor the son of man that he should repent. If he said it, he is obligated to fulfill it. Let's march through here very quickly. While God revealed himself to humankind in the Old Testament, listen to this, the revelation by itself was incomplete. Listen very carefully. There was a number of things that waited until God manifested or birthed Jesus in the flesh. Jesus had to come in the person of himself in order to fulfill promises that God made in the Old Testament. Still with me out there? So thus Jesus revealed God to humanity in a more intimate way by fulfilling his promises that he made to certain people. Okay, write these three people down. Adam, Abraham, and David. Adam, Abraham, and David. I'm getting ready to release something else in here in a minute too. Go with me to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and you all know the story. To Adam, he was the promised Messiah. He was the seed of the woman. I want you all to know that even though Adam fell, man, God still had a plan in place to redeem him. All right, let's read Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity, hostility between thee and the woman. This is a result of Adam's fall and Eve's fall. And between thy seed, singular, and her seed, singular, Satan and Jesus. And it, notice he described Satan as it, shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Bruise thy head means overcome him and destroy his power. 
bruise his heel, which that's referring to Satan. Bruise his heel means inflict upon him temporary harm and suffering, which we know Jesus took, which took place on the cross at Calvary. But how many know it was just temporary? And how many know Jesus willingly allowed that? Jesus said, if I wanted to, I could call a legion of angels. And there's nothing you could do about it. He said, no man takes my life. I lay it down. Right? But this is what he was referring to. And so he promised, even in Adam's fall, that he had a solution for that. What do I want to speak into someone's heart today? Some of you all, 2015 has been a rough year. It's been a challenging year. For some of you all, it's been a good year, but it's getting ready to be better. Stay with me now. Stay with me. I want you to listen to me. If you're on the side of you failed or you made a mistake or you've done something, notice the moment Adam fell, God put a place, a, a plan in place. That's what I want you to be comforted with today. The moment the mistake was made, there was already a plan in place for your redemption. And if you'll just spend enough time to find the promise that speaks to your problem, you're going to see God's going to redeem you, restore you, watch this, and get you back to the garden. And listen, I'm about to prophesy something to you. And whatever went wrong, no one will ever know that it ever happened in your life. Because the good that's getting ready to come out of it is getting ready to erase the memory of what you went through. Is that for anybody in this room today? And I'm talking about the moment you made the mistake, God already had a plan in place. Hallelujah. And then there are other people in here. I want to speak life into you. You've had a good year. But God said, I'm not done with you yet. You still have yet to see all of the good things that I have planned and laid up for you. And so don't rest on your laurels. Don't be satisfied with where you're at because God wants to take you higher. Glory to God. Hallelujah. 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 If I can just get 10 people to get in agreement with me right now. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, we're getting ready to walk into some things, folks, that's going to make all of our eyes just buck right out of our heads. Like, God, only you could have done something like that. To Abraham, go with me to Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. Abraham, Jesus was one of his descendants who would bless the world. Genesis 12, 3, he said, and I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. And in thee, singular, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. How many of you know that Jesus was in Abraham? And Jesus is the seed of Abraham that will bless the entire world throughout eternity. He also made a promise to David that Jesus had to come and fulfill. To David, Jesus was the promised king that would come from his family. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 7 and let's read verse 12. 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 12. It says, and when the days be fulfilled and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, David, when you die, I will set up thy seed after thee and which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish 
establish his kingdom. How many of you know that's talking about Jesus Christ himself? Go with me to Luke chapter 1, and let's look at the coming of Jesus. Fulfill this promise that God made to Mary through the angel Gabriel. Go to Luke chapter 1, and let's read verses 31 through 33. It reads, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shalt bring forth a son. You know, something I love about this story, you all remember Zechariah? Who was Zechariah? This was Jesus' uncle. How many of you know we all have uncles? This is a little just a side journey right here. Should I just leave that alone, baby, or should I just leave it alone? We, everybody has uncles, right? I bet it. Should I just leave this alone? You realize the angel had to shut up Zachariah's mouth. He said, because you're getting ready to mess this up with your mouth. Some of y'all need to put a zipper on your mouth. Right? And if you can't say what God said, then don't say nothing at all. Because you're getting ready to mess it up with your mouth. And the angel said, you won't talk again until after Jesus is born. So he had to walk around for about six months. How many of that's a good thing if it's going to keep you from saying the wrong thing? And then as soon as Jesus was born, his mouth was loose. It's just a little side nugget. We all have those uncles, but don't be that uncle or that auntie. Right? If you're not speaking life, don't speak nothing at all. Speak life over your marriage. Speak life over your children. Come on, somebody. Speak life over your job. Come on, speak life into your finances. Speak life over everything. And if you can't speak life, then don't speak nothing at all. Put some tape on it. Glory to God. It said, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over all the house of Jacob forever. And to his kingdom there shall be what? No end. So we know also he came to give us eternal life. I mean, that's the, right there. I don't need anything else. If there's nothing under the tree for me this year, I've got eternal life. I've got my family, and I have you all. What more could a man want? Jesus, wife, children, and family. Come on, God is good. Come on, somebody. God is good. What more could I want? What more could you want? All right, watch this now. So Jesus came to bring salvation. That, that gift was also a gift of salvation to us. Let's read this. Go to Romans chapter 15. Now, how many of you know he was a gift to the Jews first, right? And then to the Gentiles, which represents us. And so we were that wild branch that was engrafted in. But guess what, folks? I don't really care how we got in. I'm just glad I got in. Anybody else in here just glad you got in? All, all the rest of that don't matter. I'm just glad to be in the number, right? Look at what Romans chapter 15, verse 8 and 9 said. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision. So in other words, to the Jews. For the truth of God 
to confirm the promises made unto the fathers, and that the Gentiles, which is us, might glorify God for his mercy. How I many you know his we the we got in as a result of his mercy? And I'm telling you, I'm thankful for his mercy. Right? And so watch this. Let's keep reading here. For this cause I will confess thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. All right? I want to challenge every one of you all. Right? How many of y'all have received the gift of Jesus? I want to challenge you this Christmas season, season. Share that gift with someone that doesn't know it. How many of y'all accept that challenge? They're going to come over for dinner or you're going to go over there. How many of the families getting ready to get together? And if your family is anything like mine, there are people who need Jesus in a big way. I mean, in a mighty big way. I mean, in a mighty, 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 mighty big way. I'm talking about Jesus just show up in the room and, and sit down with us and confirm yourself with infallible signs and wonders following Strike the house, light it up, make all the lights go out, Jesus. Then turn them back on. Turn the stove off and turn it back on. Cook the food and don't nobody know how the food was cooked. Do something, Jesus, that just leaves them without a shadow of a doubt that you are who you said you are. I challenge you this Christmas season, share the gift of Jesus with somebody that you love. Number four. Jesus came to die for the sins of the world. Man, listen to you all. I'm moving too fast. Number three, Jesus came to fulfill the law of Moses. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus came to fulfill the law of Moses. I mean, a lot of people say, we don't have to live by the Old Testament anymore. The Old Testament is gone. If it's not from Romans to, to Jew, then it doesn't apply to me. I mean, that's not what the Bible teaches. How are you going to understand the new if you don't understand the old? And the only thing that makes the new better is because the old is in it. I like the way one of my previous pastors used to describe that. You know, if I give you you know how kids are when they're little. They don't know. If you give them a 20, right, or two 10s, they think you gave them more money if you gave them two 10s. Give me those two over there, right? And you have to explain to them that the, the 10 is in the 20, right? And the only thing that makes the 20 better is both 10s are in it. It's really all we're talking about here, folks. Well, how many know you still need the two tens to make up 20? All right, watch this. Matthew chapter 5, look at what Jesus himself said in verse 17 and 18. He says, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to what? Oh, watch out now. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Did we just all read that? So we don't disregard it, right? Because he didn't disregard it. He said, I came to fulfill it. What does fulfill mean? To finish, to accomplish, to complete. I love this, to fully preach. So, in other words, the gospel is not fully preached without an understanding of the old to level up and to furnish. 
So by living a perfect life here on earth, Jesus fulfilled the requirements of the law in every aspect, which is something human man or humankind could not do. Number four, Jesus came to die for the sins of the world. Somebody should say, thank you, Jesus. When sin entered the world, God instituted the concept, listen very carefully, of substitutionary sacrifice, where God required the sacrifice to die, right? However, the sacrifice of animals could not take away sin. It could only cover sin, which you all know. Neither could the death of an ordinary human being be satisfactory to take away sins. That is the complete removal of them. What was needed was the perfect sacrifice. This was accomplished when God becoming a human being, Christ coming to die on the cross for the sins of the world. When Christ came, he sacrificed himself. Listen to this, folks. Not just to cover our sins, but to completely remove them. You don't have them anymore. Oh, Jesus. And listen to this. Sin has no more dominion over you. I'm talking about you can look it right in the eye and say, no. It's been stripped of all of its power. What a wonderful gift at Christmas. The ability to say no to sin whenever we want to. You realize the only reason you sin if you do? Is because you want to. I'm serious. You you can stop smoking today. It's just a decision. And there's enough power to back that decision to keep you free from it. Hallelujah. 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 Think about it. I'm 48 years old. I have not violated the opposite sex since I was 22 years old. It's a long time. It shows you God's ability to keep you. Alcohol, wine has not touched my lips since I was 22 years old. God can keep you. How many of y'all know the party didn't start at the club until I showed up? (laughs) I'm talking about I come in there like this. Everybody knew. As soon as I walked in, I just come in like this. Let's get it going. Let's get it started. Haven't stepped foot in a club since I was 22 years old. Come on, God can keep you. No difference between cigarettes and sex. It's just a decision. Listen to this, folks. I cussed like a Chinese sailor. Cussing was just as much a part of English as English was. Come on, son, don't look at me like that. Some of y'all still cussing like that. We put words together. You all know what I mean? And just make them rhyme. And, and mom, I give you a mom. Hey, 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 yeah. Am I still in church? Listen to this. I haven't said a cuss word since I was about 23 years old. I didn't get rid of that one right away. (laughs) But listen, the only reason I didn't was because I didn't want to. For some reason, it made me feel powerful. (laughs) 
about a year later, maybe two years later. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say 24. I think it took me about two years. <laughs> but how many of you know still a great accomplishment? Yeah. Anybody glad God delivered you from sin? Yeah. Come on. Come on. That's a gift, folks. Come on. Anyone glad sin has no more dominion over your life? That's a gift. Matthew 20, 28 says, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life as a down payment, a ransom for many. Thank you, Jesus. His death on the cross paid the penalty for our sins. He died in our place so that we did not have to suffer eternally for our misdeeds and our sins. Folks, that's not fair, but I will take it all day long. I thank God for that. What is our responsibility then as a result of what that gift has provided for us? Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I want to read verses 19 through 21 for you. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I want to read verses 19 through 21 for you. Watch this now. Are you there? It says, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, here's a key nugget, not imputing their trespasses unto them. So watch this, folks. I hope you catch this today. If God did not deal with us after our sins, then we shouldn't deal with other people after their sins. Folks, people don't want to be judged today. They don't want you to be a judge. They want you to love them in spite of themselves. They already know what they're doing. They already know that. So why can't we go past that the same way God did with us, right? The Scripture says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We love him because he first loved us. Why can't we give that to other people as a gift the same way it was given to us? Not imputing their trespasses unto them and have committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are representatives for Christ, ambassadors. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. Folks, right there, if I don't get nothing else, the fact that he made me righteous, what a wonderful gift. The fact that I can go in that throne room boldly and obtain grace and favor and help whenever I need it. I don't have to go through a priest. I can just go in there and say, Daddy, I need you. And his grace is going to be sufficient in my situation. And all he asks us to do, folks, is give somebody else a word of encouragement. See, if you appreciate what I did for you, then share my word and reconcile somebody else to us. Let me tell you, if you want to give him a gift for Christmas, bring somebody to the Lord. Make him rich by giving him a soul. I'll close right here for the day. Number five, Jesus came to bring a new covenant. Jesus not only fulfilled the promise of the old covenant, his coming, coming brought a new covenant into existence. Matthew chapter 26, 26 through 28 says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples and said, Take eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, 
For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many and for the remission or removal of sins. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 8, and this is the last text we'll read for today, verses 6 through 13. Jesus came as a gift to bring us a new covenant. Let me see where my Bible scholars are. What makes the new covenant a better covenant? Anyone want to take a shot at that? What makes it better? I don't ever want to answer that at the same time. You all are fighting with each other trying to answer that. Calm down. See, this is why we take the time to teach this stuff. What makes it better? She says grace. She said we can go straight to God. That's okay. That's okay. I saw you right there. We were at an event with the seniors on uh, Friday night. He was quickening. <laughs> he was getting it. He was getting it. No, I'm only having fun with you. What, what do you have? That's good. All of those things are correct, right? But, but let me teach you. It's like what they teach us in Bible school. You have to be able to show people chapter and verse, right, if you want them to believe it. And so somewhere in the scripture, it should be defined and described what makes the new covenant better. And there's one thing, folks, that separates it from the old. And let's read it together, okay? Everything that you all said is correct, but but here's the the best possible and highest possible answer. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6 says, but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, he being Jesus, inasmuch as he is also a mediator of a better covenant, so we need to find out what makes it a better covenant, right, which was established on better promises, so right away, it has better promises in it, right, okay, let's look at what some of those are, and really what I believe the most important one is, a new covenant that if the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second, because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant. And I disregarded them, says the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. Here it is. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Watch this. None of them shall teach his neighbor, and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. And in that he says a new covenant He has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete is growing old and is ready to vanish away. Folks, what makes it better, obviously, is that it has better promises. But, folks, in the Old Testament, God traveled with them externally. So he was a pillar by cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, right? He was in the Ark of the Covenant. He was in the temple in Jerusalem. You will know what makes this new covenant better? He's inside of you. And folks, if God is for you, 
if the greater one is living on the inside of you, let me tell you, you don't have a problem in this world when you've got God Almighty living on the inside of you. I don't know about you all, but what greater gift could I want than to have God himself living on the inside of me? Do you all get anything out of this today? Praise God. We've got five more to go. We'll cover six through ten on next week. Let's just lift our hands and thank God for the ones that we heard today. Why don't you begin to rehearse some of them to yourself right now? Thank God for revealing himself more clearly to you through his son, Jesus. Thank God for forgiving you and removing you and removing all your sins uh, from you. Thank God for allowing you to live now. You could have been born 4,000 years ago and had to live under that old uh, covenant and under that old uh, testament. But God chose you to be born right now. And what a great time to be born. What a great time to be living when we get to have God Almighty living on the inside of us. We have God. We have the Holy Spirit. We have Jesus. We have a better covenant. We have better promises. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. How I many you know God has left us without excuse? And so once again, let's just lift our hands and thank him for that today. Let's all stand to our feet and just begin to appreciate the gift of Jesus. Go ahead and just take a few seconds to appreciate that gift. Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for coming to the earth on my behalf. Not only did you come, but you were willing to die so that I could live. Jesus, you're the best gift a man could ever want or a woman could ever want. And so, Father, we value the gift of your son, Jesus, not just by what we say, but also how we live. Father, give us all a heart to share Jesus with a lost and dying world. So, Father, I thank you for the word that was sown today. I pray that it fell on good hearts today. Father, you're softening hearts right now, even as I speak. You're going to give people today to receive, opportunity to receive that gift into their hearts today. So while you're in that attitude of prayer, I want to give four invitations today. The first is to give your life to Christ by receiving the gift of his son, Jesus. He didn't make that difficult. He said, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart.